Thank you for listening. This is Danny Lipkin, Managing Director of the Global Innovation Sector at Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange. Welcome to TMX Presents, the podcast. This is where we have conversations with capital market leaders from around the world. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Ray Newell, CEO of the C100. Thanks, Ray, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Danny. So, Ray, I thought we'd just get right into it. I think listeners today are really interested in hearing a bit about your background. So maybe if you don't mind telling us about the trajectory of your career, kind of what you did before the C100 and your background as an entrepreneur, involvement in tech, and tell us how you came to become the CEO of the C100. Yeah, I can tell you it looks very different from the rearview mirror than at the beginning of my career. I've always loved technology since I was a kid and had a Commodore 64 and an Atari, all those things. But I didn't ultimately study tech. I ultimately was doing economics and law and thoroughly feeling FOMO in the mid-90s as the internet was just beginning to take shape in its consumer form. I was feeling the sense of FOMO so much that I ended up talking my way into a job at one of Toronto's first ISPs under the claim that because I had set up the internet on my laptop at home and I was not technical and it was pretty hard, I could probably be the right person to talk the next group of people to come online who were probably going to be non-technical too. I like to joke with people, I single-handedly kept the internet back by about two years as I fumbled my way through tech support. I did find my way into internet advertising. I spent about a decade building, I was really early at a company called DoubleClick, which built a lot of the underlying platform for internet advertising. A lot of what we now kind of in the industry, you know, there was display advertising and and there was search and all these other things that DoubleClick was involved in, in the really early days, cookie targeting and things like that. So I spent a decade and, and I think that was really important because internet advertising ultimately was the underlying business model for a lot of the consumer internet, particularly in the early days. But in about 2007, I had dabbled with a couple of startups, like peripherally on the side, but I decided around that time, just around 2008, 2009, just in time for the global financial crisis to put my foot completely into the water of being an entrepreneur. Left my job and really I put time into thinking about what problem I wanted to solve because, you know, I knew at that point, if you're really going to be dedicated to seeing a company through, it's probably not going to be like a short term thing. So ultimately, the problem I decided to solve as an entrepreneur was in bringing the Internet to a population at around that time that hadn't been served. I saw that as a kind of developing markets or emerging markets population. My thesis that I formed, probably because I had spent a lot of time in internet advertising and content, was that people in emerging markets were going to come online for different reasons and different types of content and, and accessibility than people had come online for in North America or Europe. And so, you know, I felt strongly that video streaming would play a very big part in that mix. And I ended up building a company called Jigsy. I built it here in Toronto and acquired a company in Ottawa and ultimately had a product that 
was really good at streaming video over low bandwidth and to what was prevalent in those markets at that time, which was feature phones. We managed, we bootstrapped the company for ourselves for about a year and a half and raised a little bit of money from Angels. It was really tough to raise money at that time in Toronto for any business, much less a business focused on a market that was really foreign to Canadian investors. So we managed to raise a little bit of angel money. And I think we all kind of arrived at the conclusion that to really give this company its best chance, we needed to be, you know, next to our customers and our customers were going to work, were in India, they were in Southeast Asia, like that was the side of the world we decided to focus on. So by and large, I end up on a plane in June, 2010, on my way to India with basically two bags. We had about three months of runway. I had a team in Ottawa that was supporting me. And we needed to figure it out. And when I got to India, I happened to look Indian, but I don't have any immediate ancestry in India. I don't really, I didn't know anyone there. I didn't have any friends or family members there. And so I had to kind of figure it out. And I can tell you what I figured out first was that all all of our assumptions made about go-to-market strategy from here in Toronto were completely like flawed. It didn't feel doable at the beginning But things don't always happen linearly. And within three months, I actually managed to remap our strategy and create a story that resonated in that market and came back with a term sheet for an investment from Sequoia India and a whole bunch of other angel investors. And actually, there was two term sheets. It was really important to me that I keep my CCPC, my Canadian corporation, and my Canadian founders and my cap table in place. And so ultimately, we ended up going with the term sheet that would allow us to do that. And that was the Sequoia term sheet. So I ended up building that company. And I was really lucky because as I was stumbling through my journey in India, I happened to bump into a few Canadians. And you don't find out Canadians are Canadians right away. They tend to kind of masquerade as Americans. And it's only when you ask a few questions and someone mentions Tim Hortons or Molson or some of the other cliches that you happen to realize, or maybe they say a word and you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, did I hear that correctly? Are you Canadian? I happen to meet a few Canadians who were extremely helpful to me in building my business and getting me connected and developing an instinct in that market. It was a really powerful way for me to get acclimatized. I'll come back to that, but that was one of the kind of reasons that C100 kind of entered my radar. So anyway, we got, you know, we were able to sell, we got to an exit. It was about 2014. We ended up selling the company. The company we sold to ended up getting bought by like Shing's company, PCCW. You know, it ended up being a, a decent exit for all. So naturally, as any entrepreneur does, you start working on your second startup. Well, ultimately... As I was working on my second startup, I had my second child and I kind of decided for that moment to put the brakes on building a startup and instead focusing on supporting and mentoring other founders. And so I found myself playing that role and actually enjoying it, enjoying it so much that it made me realize that I might be a better mentor and an advocate for founders than I am a founder myself. Of course, I don't think I could have been any of that had I not been a founder, had I not really understood what it meant to be a founder. I really kind of leaned into that. And long story short, it led to an opportunity to join Techstars, which is the kind of mentorship-based accelerator 
known, especially in North America and to some extent Europe. And they, the opportunity with Techstars was to expand them into, into India. And so that kind of, it really kind of nicely connected a lot of things that were of interest to me. It really leveraged my experience. It allowed me to be a partner to founders in a different way. And so I ended up moving this time with a family to Bangalore and we kicked off a Techstars accelerator there. And while I was there, I had this time coming back to India, had knowledge of the market, understood how it worked, had a pretty solid network over there. And that ecosystem had also flourished over the years that I was doing business there. I saw how important it was for companies that had the aspiration of being global players. And so I wanted to activate myself for Canadian companies coming to India. And, you know, I happen to have a few relationships, like, for example, with Alan Lau at Wattpad and, and others, and, and that was great. And I was able to kind of offer my, my help to people that I knew, but I wanted to help the people I didn't know. I just really wanted to help founders. And I couldn't find a way to do that. I talked to the Trade Commission office and, and they were all great, but they hadn't really built a capability to make use of people like me who are out there in the world and want to help founders. So I came back in the beginning days of the pandemic and, or the early days of the pandemic, I came back to Canada with a few things. One is I saw Canada from outside and I had had the experience of seeing Canada from outside for about a decade. The Canada that you see from outside in the world is not the same as the Canada we see inside. I would be invited to conversations with the Indian government who they were building a lot of amazing infrastructure to get ready for their massive boom from an economic perspective. And other countries were at the table. I guess I wanted to see Canada there and we weren't. And that kind of stayed in my mind. And I thought, man, if there were people like me, and I know there are people like me out there in the world, if we could give them the speaking notes of what to say in those circles, in those conversations, if we could do a better job of promoting Canada in the right conversations, I'm pretty sure there would be a lot of opportunity in there for us. And, and so I, I came with that realization. I came with the realization that there really wasn't a way for us to activate our expat community, particularly as they offered the experience and the networks that matter to Canadian companies. And I came with a, an understanding and appreciation for how important it is for any, any ecosystem today that is interested in building globally important companies to have these connection points, to have leverage for their founders. I looked for a place and ultimately, you know, I guess as I was here and getting reconnected with the ecosystem, I happened to speak to a few of the folks who were involved in the early days of the C100. So Chris Albinson, John Stackhouse, who's, who'd written his book, Planet Canada. I got to meet Laura Bueller, who was running the C100 at the time. And what I found out from my conversations was, actually, this is what the C100 wants to be. This is what the C100 wants to do. I had known of the C100 I had always seen the C100 as an organization that was really built to focus on the connection point between Canada and the Valley. In having these conversations with these folks, I realized that the ambition was to be global. 
be careful what you wish for, because here I am as a CEO of the C100 today. That's great, right? And uh, a couple of those words, actually, you mentioned, you know, mentorship, advocacy, promotion, really, really some of the words that I think about when talking about what the C100 kind of stands for and, and represents. Maybe just for people listening today, if you don't mind just giving a bit of an overview of what is the C100, you know, it's a large organization these days relative, I guess, to where it was, you know, just over a decade ago when it started. And really, maybe what is its core thoughts and roots and what is it looking to do these days, ultimately? Let me kind of tell the origin story for the benefit of your audience. And then I can talk about how, you know, the ecosystem has evolved and how the C100 will evolve with it, right? So the C100 started and not formally, but unofficially in about 2008, 2009, just as we were in the middle of the global financial crisis. Chris Albinson likes to say that when the U.S. gets a cold, Canada gets a flu, right? So what that means is that for our startup ecosystem, 2008, 2009 was really tough. <laughs> it was a matter of, of existence for many of our startups. The best founders had a hard time going out and raising capital. There simply wasn't capital to deploy in Canada. And the C100 came about, there were Canadians, they were in tech, they were VCs, they were founders themselves. And ultimately they realized that Canada had a lot going for it. We had amazing entrepreneurs, yet they weren't getting the chance. And the C100 started, it was officially formed in 2010, and the objective was to support Canadian entrepreneurs by putting them in front of cap, in front of VCs and angel investors who had the capital and who had the knowledge and who had the networks to support them in the early days. At a time when a lot of these founders couldn't find that support in Canada. And so that was one part of the C100. The C100 was made up of a whole community of Canadians that happened to be in the valley in the beginning, right? And, and so let's dig into that for a second, because I think as we dig into the membership and who is a part of C100, I think it will connect the dots to where we're going, right? So we have a pretty big Canadian diaspora. And when I say that, it's not necessarily Canadian citizens. It could be people who have come to Canada from other countries as immigrants. They have gone to school here. They have built an appreciation for the country and they ended up leaving to go out and build companies, right? Elon Musk happens to be one of those types of people. And many of these folks have a very strong affinity for Canada. There's a part of them that never stops being Canadian. And there are people who happen to grow up here and are born here like me. And I think this was true for a while. I don't know if it's as true today, but to build something massive, to build scale, you really had to leave at some point, right? You had to move to the US, you had to move to Asia, you had to move to Europe. And we have within the C100, a community of these people who happen to have left for many reasons, but happen to have the experience of building scale. Today, as part of the C100, we have people 
in 34 cities, and those cities include Canadian cities. It's not necessary anymore for entrepreneurs to leave Canada to build scale. So that is a major turning point for this country. And so the C100 problem, the problem we initially set out to solve was to support founders, Canadian founders, particularly in the early days of their journey, by supporting them with capital introductions and helping them to understand what great companies look like at the early days from people who had a lot of experience building those companies, either as founders or enablers or operators. What of that is still relevant today? That's a question that I get a lot. What I would say is getting access to capital for an early stage company isn't as much of a problem as it used to be. We have a vibrant community of VCs, of angel investors. We have, you know, a lot of the tax issues that prevented foreign investors from investing in Canadian companies back in 2010. Those are no longer barriers, right? So now Canada is very much on the map for foreign investment. Still though, the issue today is that we probably need to do a better job of helping our founders understand what great looks like and support them to build great at the later stages in their companies, right? So when you get beyond a $100 million company, $100 million a year in revenue company, it's very difficult as a Canadian company to build a leadership team that has the knowledge, that has the experience, that thinks of scale in the way that scale needs to be thought about to build to the next level which is a billion dollar revenue company, right? These people exist in the C100 community, right? So I think the initial challenge, which was getting the early stage companies funded, helping them to understand what great looks like, I think we've evolved. And I think we need to pat ourselves on the back for getting past that initial hurdle, because if we didn't understand that, there's no point thinking about billion dollar revenue companies. Now, we have this awesome opportunity as a country. We have an amazing ecosystem of universities that are pumping out talent that every other large company wants to hire from, right? We have a thriving ecosystem of startups, particularly at the early stage, even on the, in the growth stage, right? We're doing pretty well in terms of our companies at the $10 million per year revenue mark. We're closing gaps on the health sciences. Our clean tech companies, we have a Canadian company that won the Carbon X Prize called Carbon Cure. I'm not sure how many of your listeners know that. So we're batting above our weight in many of these areas. But now we need to support our companies to go the next mile, to get to that point. That's a function of quite a few things. It, it still includes capital at the late stage. It includes helping them to understand how to build for the next level, right? Which is, I hate to use the word mentorship because it begins to mean so many things, but that it's about mentorship. It's also about helping them to build adoption inside this country, right? It's about helping them to create leverage. It's about beating the drum for those companies outside of this country. So that's how I see the C100's next mandate. When we started getting involved TSX, you know, about a decade ago at the C100, 
The most important program on an annual basis was the 48 hour in the Valley where it take down the top 20, 30 companies and showcase them to investors. And that's a vitally important program. And we still have come a long way with raising capital for earlier stage. There still can always be more availability of capital, but I think that's not the challenge it was over a decade ago. We just saw a record year for VC financing in Canada. We saw a record year for tech financing on the public markets in Canada. We really have come a long way. Something that we always tend to hear about, though, to your later points, is just scaling, going from $100 million in revenue to the billion dollars in revenue overall. And one thing we like to point to, and curious your thoughts about this, is actually seeing really good companies across Canada, Shopify, Lightspeed, Nuve, located across the country. So this is from coast to coast now, realizing that you can build and scale global companies anywhere in Canada. And that was something that we heard as a real big challenge just five years ago, that I got to either be in the Valley, I got to be in Toronto, this is where all the engineers are, this is where all the talent is. But something we've been advocating for over the last number of years is there's talent across this country. We just also need that help to scale overall with those companies. And now COVID has kind of upended that a lot, that we're seeing a lot more senior executives come in from around the world and realize these are the best companies in the world to work with. And now the work anywhere kind of mentality has really helped those companies. So curious your thoughts about how we're going to see this evolution and how C100 is going to play that role now with more of a global basis and helping companies go from $100 million to a $1 billion in revenue. I think the landscape changed dramatically in the last two and a half years. So I think what the pandemic did was it really cemented this view that great companies can be built anywhere. I think there was a lot of controversy around that particular statement pre-pandemic. So we have a lot of great people. We have a lot of talented people in Canada. We have, I know, quite a few people who've returned to Canada over the course of the pandemic. The challenge we have is that if you're a really talented tech or sciences operator, innovator, you're often lured with the potential of working for a U.S. company. There's an opportunity to earn a lot more by working for a large U.S. company. And in fact, it used to be that you had to be in the U.S. to work for a large U.S. company and earn in U.S. dollars. That isn't the case anymore. So while it is true that we have many talented folks who've returned or are here in Canada and want to stay here and want to live here, I think the risk is there and probably to some degree greater that we will actually lose those candidates inside the country to large global firms. That's something I think we need to be aware of. It may not be that it's going to be a classic kind of brain drain issue, as we used to have, but it's kind of more of a hemorrhage. And what do we do about that? I think it's not just about kind of recognizing that key talent is here in this country, but it's about engaging them. It's about, to some extent, thinking about scale differently. It's about in the companies that we nurture and we support in this country, we want there to be the ambition to build massive global companies. I'll say something a little bit controversial. 
I think we're a little conservative when it comes to our ambition in building companies. And that's not necessarily from the founder side, that's from the system side, right? Everyone from the capital providers and the regional innovation centers, the whole ecosystem around us needs to support ambition. What does C100 do in this? I think it comes back to the fact that a lot of our membership are made up of people who are incredibly ambitious. So ambitious that they couldn't stay in the country years ago. They ended up leaving. And this is something that I've talked to a lot of our members about and our board members lately. Had a conversation with someone who wasn't even a C100 member who recently moved to San Francisco. If we do our job, you may still leave Canada. You may still leave Canada because there's great experience to be gained from going out there in the world and understanding other communities, other markets, other populations, but you shouldn't leave because you can't be ambitious. And so that's the one thing we want to be able to inspire and support from the C100 perspective. So Ray, I just want to go back maybe to a point we were talking about earlier, your own background as an entrepreneur a little bit and how the dynamic of starting a tech company in Canada has changed over the last decade or two. We've talked a little bit about capital, the availability, that not being as big of a burden as it was maybe necessarily a decade or two ago. You just you know highlighted ambition and kind of maybe sometimes not to say the lack of, but the not willingness to go all the way with some of these companies. Is that maybe the one thing that you think is still maybe missing or a challenge as an entrepreneur in Canada is not seeing necessarily directly always the type of ambitions that we see on a global basis from some of the biggest companies in the world? Like, what is a big difference you see today in the tech ecosystem versus a decade or two decades ago? And what, what are some of those challenges that you still think are faced by entrepreneurs in Canada and starting tech companies? I think it is more possible than ever before to gain access to capital in this country at the early days. And I think all founders set out with the intention of going all the way. I don't think that they don't have the ambition to build companies that will go public and be worth billions of dollars. I think that there are many contributing reasons that make it difficult for entrepreneurs to stay in the game long enough to succeed. We can start off with just valuation. Ambitious Canadian entrepreneurs will find a way to get funded here, but if you can get funded in the US, if you can get funded through going through YC or these other platforms, I mean, you will have much more ownership in your company than if you end up funding through Canada, right? I mean, there are definitely examples of companies that could prove me wrong in that. But in general, you end up being forced down on valuations at the early stages in Canada. And, and that's because VCs are doing their job. They want to go out and they have to be responsible to their LPs and they're looking for the best founders to support and they're looking to return their fund, right? They're looking to deliver, deliver what their commitments are to their own investors. The problem is, as a community, because we end up taking a stance of caution on valuation 
at the early days. Because we sometimes don't invest in companies that we may not understand, I think we ultimately make it tougher for entrepreneurs that that are building potentially companies that may disrupt in ways we don't know. So how does that all impact downstream? Well, when you talk to a founder who's at about $100 million, say, level in their company, they've been at it for nine years, they are tired. They have been going at it for nine years. They're diluted about 50% more than their U.S. counterparts. So now you're asking yourself as a founder, I've got a $100 million company, probably looking at, say, about a half a billion dollars potential exit. Obviously, they're going to get a lot less than that because they're severely diluted. But it's still going to be life-changing wealth creation for them. So are you going to hit the sell button or are you going to maybe take an executive chairman role at that point or are you going to keep going? Whereas I think for a founder in ecosystems like the Valley, I think the way we invest in the early days is a little different. I think founders, and it's because of the surrounding kind of ecosystem and view of what success is, it is encouraged for founders to shoot for the moon. It has a whole downstream effect on the valuations, on even founder control through like super voting shares. All of those things play a role because you want those truly one in a million founders to be able to go the distance. We see some of those things still happening. And and ultimately, I think this is all part of, of our maturation into the future, into being able to support the kind of ambition that we're capable of supporting in this country. That's fantastic. It's good to hear your vision for what we need to do to go forward and continue this, right? Like, we're at a great moment here. If you looked at 10 years ago, we'd all be ecstatic that we've arrived at this place in Canada where we're just seeing record amounts of financing. 10 years ago, we couldn't even dream about the potential that we can now actually plan on. That's what has changed is we've made all of this possible. So in many ways, it's like we now have the problem. It's a good thing to have this problem. No, absolutely. And now we have the examples that we can point to over the years of here's all the rock stars in Canada who have done it. It's no longer just a dream anymore, right? These are all the hundreds of entrepreneurs that are going out there and getting even to $100 million of revenue, right? There was very few that could do it just a handful of years ago, and now we're seeing it constantly. And even through what Chris Alvinson has put out in Communitech and the Team True North of even, we're now trying to identify companies that are gonna get to a billion dollars of revenue, where it used to be maybe we'd say, who are the ones that are gonna get to 100 million of revenue? It's really setting that scale and bar much higher than it ever was before. And so I guess the question I want to kind of leave you with now is thinking about how are you going to measure success at the C100? I know it's also only been a couple of months, but kind of like what excites you the most about this role and what you're trying to do with the organization and this kind of global footprint that it's creating? There's so much. This is a dream job for me. I'm incredibly passionate about storytelling and about the power of storytelling. And I think the community of Canadians that have had massive impact 
in the sciences and technology is much greater than Canadians inside the country know. And so a lot of, of our focus is on really identifying those folks wherever they are around the world. Because you know what? One thing I can tell you from having met many of them, run into them over the years, is that they all want to give back to Canada. They all care about this country. So I think it's about identifying those people in areas that are really strategic to our ecosystems and our sectors here in Canada. And it's about engaging them. It's about telling their story here. It's about getting into the right conversations where they are, giving them the right speaking notes. And that's the role of the C100. And I think that's an important role to connecting this ecosystem to the rest of the world, but also bringing the approach to thinking and the ambition and the understanding of operating scale from those folks into the ecosystem. That's what's missing. So I'm very passionate about that. It can really create a lot of leverage for Canadian founders. So in the short term, it's about expanding this community by going out and finding those people and making them a part of Canada and the Canadian story. In the long term, the way that I look at success is really through the outcomes of the Canadian sciences and tech companies. Just as you said earlier, you know, if we go back 10 years ago, the number of companies that were doing more than a couple hundred of million in revenue, like you could probably count them on one hand. Well, that is today the number of companies that are doing a billion in revenue. So I think that we can now set our sights a bit further, right? I think that you're going to see a proliferation of a whole ecosystem of companies in the sciences, in tech, right? Across the sectors, clean tech and software and enterprise. And I think we're going to see a lot of these companies in the billion dollar a year revenue range. And that's going to be an amazing boon for the ecosystem. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's what success looks like if we do our jobs at the C100. And it's great to think about how this whole entity, you know, started with 48 hours in the valley of let's bring down companies. In many ways, you don't need that anymore, though I'd like to still recommend that one day we have 48 hours in Bali um, and just have a good time on the beach. Um, and I think it kind of jives very well. And I think there'd be a lot of supporters globally to have that 48 hour program. But I look forward to that one. Yeah, we'll talk about it uh, amongst the partners at the next event. Sounds good. But I want to thank you and I want to very much wish you support as you begin this new endeavor, new role for yourself. TMX has been proud to be a supporter of the C100 really since its outset. And we critically think it plays a hugely important role in the tech ecosystem. And a lot of credit should go to the C100 itself for getting us to this point where we now have we're going talking about $100 million revenue companies to a $1 billion revenue companies. And, and that's so important for the long-term success of the Canadian tech ecosystem. Thank you for listening to TMX Presents the podcast. And thank you to Ray Newell, CEO of C100, for joining us today. For more insights from capital market leaders, visit tmx.com slash POV.